You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. This is a reading from Acts, verse 20 through... I'm sorry, Acts 20, 17 through 38. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus the leaders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know, I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the providence of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of the Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from, the, from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider myself worth, my life worth noting to me My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying of the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you, none among you, have gone about preaching in the kingdom that will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim the good will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all flock and all of the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the, whole, of the holy church of God, which is bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number of men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. Now I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must keep, uh, must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus said, himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement saying that he would never see their face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. You can give it up one more time for the Murphys. Bobby Caroline, thank you. You may not have seen them or talked to them yet, uh, but you have been blessed by them because diligently they have come and made a space for us to come and host the presence of God and to meet with the Spirit. And that is, um, gosh, that is not something I take lightly. Uh, these chairs don't stay here all week. And uh, that's... That's a real gift for those who come and set the table so that we can 
we can eat and dine with the Lord. I pray that we don't take it for granted. I pray we don't take them for granted. Um, and I pray we receive the invitation to follow in their footsteps. So we bless you, friends. Um, yeah, I'm kind of curious. Uh, you know, it's been three years since the start of COVID. And there's been a lot of migration out of the city. And, and I know my wife and I have experienced it. And I wonder, just by a show of hands, uh, if, you've, if you've said goodbye to at least one friend uh, from the city over the last three years, will you just raise your hand? You can, yeah, keep, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. All right, let me see. If you said goodbye to three or more friends, keep your hands up. Five or more, seven or more, 10 or more. All right, we get it, y'all are showing off. <laughs> we all know the sting of goodbye, clearly, in this room. Now, some of you, I didn't ask, but some of you probably said goodbye to where you were from in the last three years to come here. And so people are talking about, they're raising their hands for you back there. The reality is uh, New York City is a port city. A port city is a place of commerce. It's where people come. It is built for, for, for commerce and for people to come in temporarily, do their business, and go back to where they're from, right? The most New York thing you can do is leave New York City. And that's not just for transplants. Uh, I live on a block with like old school Puerto Ricans, my family, and they're all heading down to the sixth borough, Orlando. Uh, <laughs> and so it is a reality of this city. One of the markers of being a part of this place is becoming adept at saying goodbye. And it's not just for this port city, and it's not just for our times. And that's actually why we're doing this series, Messy Church, this is actually our, our final week in this series. So we're saying goodbye to this series by saying goodbye. Uh, we are looking at the early church of Acts, uh, those group of people we often put on this pedestal and we're diving in through their story and seeing what we can learn about the, the messiness that they, that they lived and loved and followed Jesus in, because it was there. So today, our text, our final text, is near the end of Acts, and this is all about saying goodbye. Now, the, the, the book of Acts, it, it, you could almost have like a Acts, comma, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the book of Acts is all about uh, the work of Jesus after the, the ascension of Jesus. And primarily that's through the lens of the Apostle Paul who has, who has taken the faith, who's taken up the mantle and is, and is spreading the faith of, of Jesus, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ all throughout the region uh, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. We're moving in to Asia and beyond. And Paul, Paul now has done three missionary journeys by the time we get to our text. Uh, and at the end of this journey, he's invited the elders, the leaders from this church in a city called Ephesus, and he's invited them to come to a nearby city so that he could say goodbye to them. Uh, now, 
maybe you've probably got plans to go to a goodbye party here soon. Uh, but this one, uh, this one was 44 miles away over land and sea. So these elders have to like trek to the water, get on a boat. It takes them about, it's probably about a four to five day round trip journey just to say goodbye. I love all of you. <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna make the goodbye party four days away. So I think that begs the question, like what is going on here? What love could exist that would lead people to go through so much trouble just to say goodbye? Well, uh, for that, I think we just got to turn back to some context. Um, Paul tells us in uh, his, his, his last words to these people in verse 19, he says, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponent. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but have taught you publicly from house to house. So about five years before this goodbye on Paul's second journey, uh, he's, he's traveling through uh, all of Asia Minor off the coast of Turkey. He stops by quickly in the city of Ephesus uh, with a couple of friends, Pris Priscilla and Aquila, and, and, he's, and he kind of sets a spark there. He, he leaves uh, Aquila and Priscilla, who were missionaries from Italy, uh, and he he goes into the temples and he starts preaching the good news of Jesus, that he is the Messiah. And then he kind of leaves and they're just like, oh man, you've gotten us, you know, we say in the South, you got my mouth on water for some hash. Like, I'm like, I'm like ready, give me some more of this Jesus stuff. And Paul's like, no, I gotta go. And so he leaves. And so a little over a year later on his third journey, Paul comes back and he realizes that the spark, that little spark he planted about, about Jesus being the Messiah has grown into an ember. And there's this church, but they need some, some fresh wind in these embers to turn into a flame. Literally, they need the flame of God. And it turns out when Paul returns, he realizes these people, they know the baptism of, of, of John the Baptist, but they haven't heard about the baptism of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's like, oh, oh, you heard the first track, but you don't even know about the second album? And so he like puts them on game and he's like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And then he prays for them, the scripture says, and in this prayer, talk about a gift, the Holy Spirit comes down on them. And now the Spirit of God is ripping through their community. They're speaking tongues and they're prophesying. And Paul doesn't leave, he ends up staying for about three years. Over those three years, all kinds of stuff are happening. They're, they're fighting demons uh, to the point like the demons have like a, a group thread about Paul and Jesus. And we, we, I'm serious, we see it's, it's, it's in the verses on the screen. Uh, and so the de they're fighting demons. Beyond that, there's like, like there's this whole thing where, where there's these riots where they almost get like murdered because the biz, local businessmen are angry because Paul's like telling people that they don't need to like wear the nicest things and be concerned with money and gold, which uh, Demeter, which was the, the, the goddess uh, over uh, Ephesus was, was one of, of, of richness. And so they're, they're losing money by being able to make these idols. And so they, they turn on Paul and the church. And so they end up in this, it's a whole story. They almost got killed, okay? 
And also Paul has just been a severe, like such a blessing. The scriptures say this, this is uh, uh, Acts 19, verses 11 through 12. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illness were cured and the evil spirits left them. Paul and the church of Ephesus had gone through some things. So much so that they were willing to travel four days just to say goodbye. And what I take from this when I read this is simply that hard goodbyes are signs of shared hard and good times. The hardest goodbyes are signs of shared hard and good times. We've gone through stuff. We've shared tears together. You hear me say it often, we've, we've divided sorrows and multiplied joys. Which for me begs the next question, if, if, if you've gone through so much, if there's such a bond, like why say goodbye at all? Paul at this point's in his mid forties. It's hard to make a friend in like late 20s. <laughs> By the time you get to mid 40s, it just is what it is, you know? <laughs> so when you've got good friends, why would, you, why would you let them go? This is what Paul says. And now, verse 22, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul is saying goodbye because as much as they love one another, his obedience to the Spirit trumps everything, even his own life. Paul says, my life is, is worth nothing. And this isn't, this isn't being denigrating. What Paul is saying that is in view of the glory of God, in view of his call over my life, I regard nothing as superior to that. Even when I know that call is calling me into harm. This was typical of Paul. Paul practiced, Paul practiced this blind obedience. There's a story in Acts 16 where, where Paul, in, in one of his missionary journeys, he's, he's trying to, he's, he's second missionary journey, he's moving, trying to move deeper into Asia, and, and, and he's coming up uh, through these two cities, and, and he, can't, he can't go. Uh, the Spirit, the, the Scriptures say, uh, he was being kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And so, so Paul, okay, okay, they go back down and they go to this city called Troas and Paul has this dream and he sees this Macedonian man and, and the man saying, come to me. And, and the scriptures say that, that Paul saw this vision and we got ready at once. Paul's like out to live, we talked about this last week, to do the work of Jesus. 
and nothing's gonna get in the way of that. And wherever he sees the spirit calls him, that's where he's going immediately, post haste. There's this blind obedience. This uh, story actually uh, connects with me pretty deeply. Um, so I, I grew up independent Baptist, uh, which we're Trinitarians, but the Holy Spirit's kind of like a 90s, like retired R&B star. Like he only does like <laughs> spiritual birthdays and like, <laughs> you know, goodbyes. Like he, he just kind of moonlights. Uh, <clears throat> And so you can imagine when I turned like 21, the spirit like came into my life. And, and I had these, I started having these, these interactions with the spirit of God that was literally calling me and impressing upon me uh, things to do and to go. I love this. And so I felt this call to move to, to Denver, which I, I didn't know anyone in Denver. I didn't even, I had this church that was calling me to Denver, but there wasn't a, uh, they couldn't even pay me. So I didn't know what was on the other side of this obedience. And so I've been praying through the Lord, like, hey Lord, what do I do? And so I'm like, and this is so new to me. And so I'm asking the Lord for, for just a, to affirmation. Now, my dad is one of the like, holiest like men I know. He just loves the Lord with his whole heart. Um, he's the go Jesus guy from Family Feud, if you've ever seen it. Uh, it's a real story. Um, and, uh, and so I have this thing. I, 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 there's this one week where I, I say to the Lord, okay, this is like weird spirit that you're like actually speaking into my life onto a very practical level. Uh, so either this is you or I need to go talk to somebody. And um, I just need affirmation. So here's what I would just love. I would, I would pray that by the end of this week, I would just know for sure this is what you're calling me to do, to leave my home in South Carolina, move to Denver, and to take up your work. And uh, Monday comes, Tuesday, on to Thursday, Friday. There's just no real sign. Saturday morning, I call my parents and I'm just like, I, I, they knew about this, but I hadn't really told them this is what I was committed to. Saturday morning, I call my father and I tell him my plans to move to Denver, to do the work of the Lord. I, I don't know what's ahead of me. I, I don't have a lot of things planned out, but I have a deep conviction by the spirit of God that this is what I'm supposed to do. And my father's response was that, to that uh, was utter disbelief. He said things like, I don't believe you're hearing from God. Uh, I think that this is a mistake. Um, I cannot get behind this. And I mean, we had the, one of the, the worst fights we've ever had in our lives. I'm like, there's just so much snot. And I'm just like tears. And, I, and, we're, and I'm yelling. And I'm just feeling so betrayed by him and by the Lord. I'm like, what is going on? And we don't even finish the call. The, the phone, this is back when cordless phones. So I don't, you know, the ones that you kept at home, uh, it just died. It just died. And so that whole afternoon, I just kind of sat there and, and I called some mentors and they did, you know, they just were like, I don't know, we, we can just pray for you. And I didn't know what to do. And so at the end of the night, there's probably about six hours left in this week. Uh, and I call back home to apologize to my father for the, the disrespectful 
way I had talked to him that morning. And my father answers, and before I can say a word, he says, um, uh, he says, son, uh, he said, son, this morning wasn't from God. He said, I was very scared because I don't have a lot of money. And if you go over there and something happens to you, I may not be able to help you. And I love you. And I know that you love me. But we have given our lives to Jesus. So if he calls us, we must go. I may not understand it, but I'm with you. He got more than a tie that Father's Day. What are we willing to say goodbye to in order to say yes to the Spirit? What are we willing to give up for the way and the work of Jesus? We sang that song earlier, you have no rival, you have no equal, thine is the kingdom. And that's all well and good in a like ethereal sense. But is it true of my heart? Can I sing that from the position of my body? You have no rival and you have no equal over my time and over where I live and over how I spend my money and who gets my presence. What are we willing to give up for the way and work of Jesus? For Paul, the answer was everything. And if you remember last week, we talked about this, the the way and the work of Jesus and how they're the same thing. We said that the work of Jesus is giving God glory by imitating Jesus' way of loving others as himself. The way of Jesus is loving others as himself, and that is the work that he concerned himself with. Loving others. So in light of this, Paul says to these people as he's saying his final goodbye, he says, hey, you gotta keep watch over yourselves. This is the most important thing. There are dangers out there and in here. We've spent Six weeks talking about the messiness that can arise just by trying to to give ourselves to the way and work of Jesus. 
And the theme, I hope you've seen it throughout it all, is that we become people dependent upon the Spirit and desperate for one another. Paul says in this final address, hey, keep watch over yourselves. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. Why? Because it's precious. This is the very message that Paul reminds them five years later when, as he suspected, he goes to Jerusalem and then Rome and he's in prison. And so five years later, when Paul is in a prison cell in Rome, he writes to them in Ephesians 4. We spent a whole series on it at the beginning of this year. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Keep the unity of the spirit. Paul left them physically, but he had not left them in spirit. There is this call to keep the bond of the spirit, not the bond of geography. Because frankly, the bond of the spirit is just simply much stronger. But this takes hard and intentional work. It's so much easier to love somebody when I can go over to their house every day. It's so much easier to be bonded in the spirit when we, can, when we can like do our daily lives. And that's not a bad thing, that's just a reality. So to have this, to have this kind of, this, this, this bigger perspective, it takes work. This is what Paul says back in our, in our text in verse 34, when he says that, you know yourselves that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companion. And everything I did, I showed you that but this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. He's like, you've seen in me that this takes work to live this out. As a missionary, Paul, again, we talked about, had forsaken, taken a bride. Not that that was a commandment of God, but for Paul, he just didn't want anything else in the way of, of of what he felt his calling was. And so for him, that was forsaking marriage. And also Paul was a tent maker. Uh, we see this in, in Acts 18, where it, where it says that, that, that Paul, we're talking about his friends Aquila and Priscilla, uh, he, he says in verse three, because he was a tent maker, where they were, he stayed and he worked with them. And so Paul, he's referencing this in Acts 20, Paul saying, hey, I've, I've, I've not just gone out and done the work of God, but I've even like used my resources to, to not be a burden on the, com on the community that we were in, but also just to help support the work of Jesus. Which is interesting, we don't know much about the side hustle of, of Paul. We know that he didn't go to school for it because Paul passed through the rabbinical system and, and he was this, this, this disciple of the of famous Gamaliel who was the, one of the biggest uh, Pharisees and, and Jewish leaders of the time. So Paul, Paul didn't go to, to tent making school, but we do know that Paul is from Tarsus. Uh, which is actually in, this, in the region of Sicilia, which was this known for goats, it was goat country. Um, and Sicilia, these goats, they're actually also known for the hairs that they take from these goats and they make a cloth called Sicilium. And it's kind of like water resistant and it was used often 
and tent making, among other things, clothing and uh, coverings for things. And so we can kind of take this implication that somewhere along his like, the place where he grew up, Paul learned and picked up the ability to take these goat hairs and to make a tent. Why does that have any importance? Uh, I think it just shows that Paul used all the resources and knowledge the Lord had surrounded him to further the mission to live out the way and the work of Jesus. That was just central to his life. Everything he had encountered was being used to bring glory to, the, to God by loving others. So what do we do with all this? What do we do when we live through good and hard times and following the spirit, we're eventually called to separate paths? How do we handle that messiness? Well, the end of our text says that when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. What do we do? We fall back on our bond in the spirit. So we pray. We bless our brothers and sisters as they move forward. And then we mourn and we acknowledge all the reasons why it's hard to say goodbye. It is not wrong to feel the loss of a goodbye. It is not wrong to be angry. <clears throat> it is not wrong to just be dismayed. <clears throat> it is good and proper to sit with it. And then we all move forward into what God has for us. He did that for the Murphys today. In two weeks, we're gonna do it for the Ryans. And there's something I just wanna quickly speak to. The Ryans know where the spirit is leading them, back home. He's done incredible things to make a way for them. And I'm so incredibly excited as I've just been able to bear witness to how the spirit is so clearly leading them in the fullness of time into this direction. But that's gonna leave a hole for us. In our community, by all the members of this family, for our leadership as we lose Gemma vocationally as a pastor. What does Gemma's departure mean for our pastoral team? I don't know yet. And we're not gonna to rush to try to fill that hole. We're gonna mourn. And we're gonna wait until the Spirit tells us what we do. And then we'll move with purpose. Gemma gives her last address next week and then in two weeks, it's just gonna be a celebration of the riots. Um, and there's gonna be a time set aside for us to just speak blessing over them. And so I wanna tell you that now, 
so that if you would like to make use of that time, I want you to go ahead and just be able to start thinking and being able to pull all your, your words together uh, so that we would just make space for people to be able to say and reflect back to them what this family has meant to them and to give blessing over them and honor all the many things. Uh, we haven't gotten holy handkerchiefs from Gemma yet, but close enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's messy. But most good things kind of are. So while we can and while we will, I just want us to practice our unity. So I'm going to invite uh, our worship team to come back and to help lead us as we unite our voices in praise to the God who, who has so richly blessed us. <clears throat> I'm going to invite forward our, our, just our prayer team, and they're going to be here ready to join and meet you in the spirit, to pray over you as you need. And I invite you, even where you sit, to pray for one another. I wonder what it looks like if you would just open your eyes and see if the Spirit has given you a word to, to give to someone, a prayer to pray. Would you be faithful in that like Paul? And then finally, we're going to come to the table. The table that unites us. The table that reminds us that all this came with sacrifice. Unity that was purchased in the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. Which calls us out of any of our own stuff. and reminds us that no matter who we are or where we are or how far the distance between us may feel, we have these simple, ordinary elements that brings us back together. So I'm gonna bless them and I'm gonna invite us to stand. You can even stand now. And let us practice our unity in song and prayer in the power of these ordinary elements. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we come to a unifying table. We thank you that we get to sing your praises together. We thank you that we get to bear with one another in prayer. I pray that you delight in seeing your children concern themselves with your way and your work. So bless these elements and bless us, Father, as we live out the unity we have so richly received by your Spirit. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So come and respond.